Hello and welcome to an Hour from Tower podcast, the podcast that brings you the people, personalities, and the stories from the College of St. Scholastica. Today we are with someone who's a pretty big dealer on campus, and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast, Sister Lisa Mauer. Sister, glad to have you here. I am so excited to be with you today. This is pretty cool. You know, you're one of the first people that made connection with me outside of my interview process, and it came in the form of Twitter. Um sending gifs or gifs or whatever it is back and forth. We're going to talk about that Twitter game of yours a little bit later in the podcast, but um, I think when I first had the idea of this podcast, you were one that I wanted to make sure we had here, so it's going to be a fun day, I think. I think I think it's going to be a good time. Yep, excellent. So let's start, as I do always, with... Um, with folks here, you know, the, the path to St. Scholastica. Um, yours looks a little bit different than most that we'll have on the podcast, given the connection with the monastery. But, you know, talk to me a bit about Sleepy Eye Montana, or Montana, Minnesota. Oh, my goodness. Sleepy Eye, Minnesota. It sounds like a, a stop sign on a blacktop is what it sounds like. But talk to me about your journey here. So I am from Sleepy Eye. It's more than a stop sign. We have a stop and go light. Hey, Yeah, we have time. a traffic light. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's in southwestern Minnesota. Major claim to fame is it's near the home of uh, Laura Ingalls, Little House on the Prairie type thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful, idyllic place. Uh, went to Sleepy Eye St. Mary's was part of the Catholic Church there and and had a great family, great church support system and uh, played sports, loved life with my family. It was just a great place growing up. Mm-hmm. So you, you're there through school, you go to high school. Again, talk to me a bit more about then, you know, how do you land here? You didn't come directly here from high school. You're not a St. Scholastica graduate. Um, so so to talk to me, you know, from high school on. Yeah, so in high school, so I am a sister here at St. Scholastica, and, and I think part of me always knew I had a religious vocation. Probably the main first time I remember thinking about was in fourth grade when I had a pretty cool teacher in fourth grade. Her name was Sister Arnold. And so if your name is Sister Arnold, you've got to be pretty cool. And so I think she was the first time that I saw that a sister could be holy and cool both at the same time, and so that intrigued me. Part of me thought about becoming a sister right out of high school, but everybody encouraged me to go to college, so I did, and I went to Southwest State University down in Marshall, Minnesota, played a little bit of softball down there, became a teacher, then graduated college, became a teacher and a coach, and this idea of becoming a religious sister never left me, and eventually I found my way here to St. Scholastica Monastery, so that's really what brought me here. But in that discernment of entering the monastery here at St. Scholastica, I do have to admit that the College of St. Scholastica played a role in that because I knew we share the same campus and my love of sports and everything. I knew that if I entered the monastery here, it would be very easy for me to sneak to the gymnasium and watch a basketball game or or get involved with the students and have that sort of life. So the attraction to the monastery was in part to the College of St. Scholastica. Interesting. You know, I there's there's a lot around um, there's a lot around like a veil of mystery <laughs> with monastic life. At least for me, maybe it's not for others, right? I mean, I came into the Catholic Church when I married my wife. I grew up United Church of Christ, and then married and, and came into um, you know the Catholic. And, and again, I've you know there's some interesting stories about kind of learning the differences between Catholicism and other religions, um, but. There, there's this, there's a little bit of this mystery, you know, like, so, uh, you know, you said since fourth grade, like this discernment, like, it, it, can you t- expand a little bit more on that? Like, how does one, you know, it, it's such a, such a devotion and a dedication, like, how, how do you know that early? Well, I think I knew it early because I had the example of sisters all through school. We had a lot of sister teaching in my elementary school mm-hmm. and in my high school and in my, in my town, in my community. We actually had four different religious groups of sisters working in and around my Catholic parish in in the city of Sleepy Eye. So I think seeing their example is how I got it early. But you mentioned the idea of the mystery or how did I know. I could throw that back at you. How did you know to marry your wife? Uh. I mean, in in essence, it's really the same thing because we all have a vocation, whether it's to the religious life or the priesthood or being married or being a beautiful single person. And you think about your vocation to your to your occupation or what you do in life. And so it's it's really all that same. It's what pulls at your heartstring. It's what it's what excites you. It, it's what draws you. And and as a Catholic Christian, I believe that comes from God, that God 
birthed us all into life. God created us, God gifted us, and God has dreams for us. And it's part of our journey of discernment, you use that word, to discern how does God dream me to be? How does that match with my dreams? To me, where my dreams, God's dreams, where those come together, we're going to find happiness. Mm. It's what I love working on campuses that has a monastic. I've, you know, now this is my second one where there's been a strong, really, yeah, second one that's where there's been a strong monastic case. But usually the my, what I feel are my toughest questions are always typically answered with a question back that makes me go, well, yeah, aha, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how you say no different than you choosing to be married to my mm-hmm. wife, right? I mean, it's the same same kind of deal. It's just a, a beautiful thing. You talk about a lot. Um, you pray every day for joy and gratitude. Every day. Um, I think... I think I try to do a lot of the same thing in the in the line of work that we get. I mean, we're around young people all the time, mm-hmm. and they can bring so much joy and so much gratitude to your life. What? Wh- how does that look for you? How do you do that on the tough days? I mean, I, talk to me a bit about what, what you pray for and what that looks like. You know, you talk about the tough days, and, and I think I recognize that when my days are tougher, it's probably because I've neglected to be grateful or I've neglected to be prayerful. I mean, I do pray every day and I do extra hours of prayer. I get up early, extra early in the morning and I do all this. But even though I might be sitting in chapel, I might be sitting in church, I might be at mass or I might be at prayers, am I really praying? And so that's part of it. It's the intentionality that I go into it with. It's the idea of emptying myself and allowing the gratitude and the joy to come forth Mm -hmm. rather than being focused on, oh, woe is me, I got all this going on, I have this much work to do, I just heard about this in the news, I just heard about that. Another friend, in fact, literally before I came to this meeting, I just found out another friend is having a cancer scare right now. Mm-hmm. You know, So all of those things can flood my head all the time, and I can get bogged down because I'm human, mm-hmm. but it's when I try to empty myself of that and go to the gratitude. And I try to have it be realistic. I try not to be a Pollyanna. I think when I try to say that I try to be a joyful person that people think I'm just a Pollyanna about that. Mm -hmm. And it's more than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can be silly and I can be crazy and I love doing that. But but the joy that I'm speaking about, I really have to pray for it because that's a gift from God that you can be joyful and grateful in the midst of what might be happening around you. And so there has to be an intentionality about it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, can you give us two, this goes back to the mystery and maybe just feeding my own curiosity, right? But like your day-to-day, I, I think people you know, think, well, sisters sit around and they pray all day long. Um, but there's so much more that you and the sisters in the monastery, you have, you know, your mission, you know, the missions and the and, and the work that happens. What's, what's a typical day like? Right. Well, like everybody, there's probably no typical day, but we are blessed as monastics, as religious, that our day is punctuated with prayer. It is built right into it. So right now, our schedule is that um, 7.30 a.m. is morning prayer. So that's when all the sisters gather and we, you know, pray out of our prayer book, read the Psalms, sing the Psalms, and do all that. Over the noon hour, we have another time of prayer, which is usually Mass or midday prayer. Then again, we gather at 5 o'clock for evening prayer. So our day is punctuated with that. So I know those hours are set there. And for me, that does help. Then what I fill in with the rest of that is probably my work or my ministry, whatever I have to do. I mean, I got to get laundry done in there. I got to cut my fingernails somewhere in there. You know, I do my work in my ministry that I'm assigned to within the monastery. Um, But then you also throw in your own extra personal prayer. So I, for me, my schedule is I I get up by 5 in the morning, maybe 4.30, take care, you know, showering, getting ready and doing all that sort of thing. And then I go sit for an hour from... 6.30 to 7.30 before the Blessed Sacrament, before the sisters even come into chapel, and I do my quiet prayer. might read scripture, sit quietly, maybe complain to God, ask God for help, or just try to be quiet. Then I try to do that again in the afternoon. As I said, we all come together to pray at at 5 o'clock. I try to go to chapel again at 4 o'clock and do an hour of prayer. Maybe I'm reading a spiritual book or something at that one. But we as sisters, as I said, we have our hours punctuated during the day, but then it's, it's up to us then to fulfill the deeper longing of my personal time with God. Then do the ministry that we're called to do and, and whatever it is. For me, I'm in vocations work right now and formation work. Do the stuff that I do at the college. 
maybe being called to do whatever it is, we just fill it in and, and do what we have to do. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, I've had the opportunity to, 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 to pray and, and to be around you all. And it's, you know, it's, it's those moments that, the mo- moments of quiet that I think so many people don't have that opportunity. We just had a meeting today where the reflection started with just a minute of, of quiet. And, you know, I said I'm always reminded when people do that to, to, to how healthy it is to take the time, even if it's in quiet, right? Maybe that's in prayer. Again, if, if, if you're faith-filled and, and pray, pray, or just quiet. We don't get quiet anymore. No, it's very, because we're filled with everything. We might have our, you know, earphones on, our iPad on, we have the radio on, or the this, and, and I'm very guilty of that. I like to have that sort of thing, but I do realize that I need quiet. But I also realize it takes me a long time to enter into the quiet. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it's kind of like if you took a if you took a cake pan and filled it with water, and you walked across the room with it, and you set the cake pan down, the cake pan will be sitting down, but the water inside the cake pan will still be sloshing a little bit. That happens to me. I might be sitting for an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament, absolutely still, absolutely quiet, but my goodness, the sloshing around that's going on in my head, the thoughts and the this, it, it takes a lot of discipline to really enter into the quiet. And that's where that's where the mystery of God can be revealed even more so in that quiet. So I think for all of us, we need that time that we can think and just allow thoughts to be. I love that analogy. I think that's exactly right. There's a lot of sloshing that goes around in my brain too. So um, when I'm trying to be quieter, I think my wife and my colleagues would probably say it's just because there's a lot of sloshing to be had in my brain upstairs. But so you see so your first time on campus, or your first time, you know, you came to St. Scholastica in 2007. What you, you talk about one of your favorite memories is that first time on campus coming to campus. Talk about driving up the, the hill here out to campus. Well, driving up the hill, driving up is a college avenue that I comes up, so, yeah, yeah, up to the stop and go lights. And then Tower Hall reveals, oh, Tower <laughs> Hall reveals I didn't know what the campus was like, so I assumed that Tower Hall was the monastery because it looked so grandiose. And then I found out the monastery is a monastery, and I remember going, oh. (laughs) And then the sisters saying, well, it used to be that the sisters used to live in Tower Hall and have the school. And and, um, so I was a little bit disheartened that that Tower, but the monastery is beautiful. But I remember anyone who drives up the hill, you can't help but be amazed by it. And especially having nieces and nephews now, they think I they think I live with you know Harry Potter in a castle <laughs> and that sort of thing. So yeah, so get, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we get that a lot with people coming. So came to, in 2007, made your final profession in 2012. So mm-hmm. there's five years of work that goes into preparing you for making that final pr- pr- profession. What, what th- talk about that process too of making final profession? What what happens between the time you, you make, a, you know, in your mind, you, you've discerned it, and then that final profession. Right. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's, it's you know, deciding, first of all, is God calling you to be a sister? Yeah. Where is he calling you to be? Found out it was St. Scholastica. But it's still not done because there's a lot that I need to learn about the community, their history, their how they live out daily life, what they're really about. And also the community needs to learn about me. Am I a good fit for them? Not only are they a good fit for me, but am I a good fit for them? Mm-hmm. So in those years, you're studying scripture, you're studying church history, you're studying the Catholic church, and you're studying what Benedictine values and what Benedictine life is like, Benedictine history. So you're doing all that type of thing. And and on the short side, it does take five years. And recently I was talking to a group of young people, you know, and, and comparing that to marriage. You know, nowadays, if you're going to get married, you know, you got a boyfriend, he proposes, you talk to the priest or whoever's going to help marry you. Sometimes there's maybe six months to a year of preparation, getting it together. And they were asking me, well, why is it so much longer to be a sister or a priest? And this is how, this is how I explain it. You know, all of us grew up in families, and you know, most of us in families, in a traditional family with a mother or father and and in a family. So we're used to how a family operates. We we see it, we see how families live together. We're not all used to how a monastery operates. So the the preparation, the formation to become a religious sister or brother or priest takes a lot longer because it's not quite so natural to us. We're used to what it's like to go to work and to get up and to have a family and to make supper and to do this, but we're not all used to how do you live together with 40 other women in a monastery? Mm-hmm. You know, So it takes a little bit longer to assimilate into that type of life. Mm-hmm. And also you know, the commitment 
is is a difficult commitment it's a serious commitment and so there's all these different stages along the way where you learn you discern then you check yourself is this still where you feel you're being called is this still where God is working for you and then you continue on and then you check yourself and then in the end they you finally say am I going to do this forever mm. and that's what God said yes yeah it's so interesting what do you like best and worst about being a sister what I like best, oh, there's probably a lot of things, but I just, just the love relationship with God, just knowing that in the midst of my sinfulness, in the midst of all my foibles and foibles or whatever that word is, um, that yes, all of us are children with God. Yes, all of us are called to be in relationship with God, but that is my one and only relationship. I have family, I have friends, but mm -hmm. but just the fact that God has asked me to do this in this special way. So that's probably the way coolest thing about it. Yeah. The hardest thing about it, um, I think, is just feeling that I'm living up to it or that I am mm -hmm. being worthy of it or that I'm doing it in a way that's pleasing to God mm -hmm. because I can get so caught up in this is what I like or I get comfortable with what I'm doing. I think always just checking myself, God, am I really using this gift of my vocation that you've given me am i really using it to the best of my ability and am i doing it in a way that's pleasing to you yeah if there are people listening and and again right you know i think you know god works in mysterious ways right i mean just a firm believer that god places you where you belong where you belong right i mean i mm -hmm. there's there's no rightful reason right I'm, i grew up in wisconsin i'm you know you're staring at a cheese head behind me right i mean all of those kinds of things like i i I, there's no rightful reason for me to be in Minnesota, much less at in Duluth. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's in Saint Scholastic. So you know, they, I think that puts you where you belong. For people listening who may be discerning or maybe thinking about religious life or those kinds of things, what advice would you give them? The first piece of advice I'd give them is don't be afraid. Um, don't be afraid to step into the question. I think nowadays people are like, well, there's not so many priests anymore. Not so many people are becoming sisters anymore. And I don't think that's God's fault. I think God is still calling people. God is still drawing people. So if anyone has that inkling anywhere in their heart or in their mind, I would say, don't be afraid. And don't be afraid just to step into the question and just give God a chance to work in you and through you and, and show you the way he dreams you to be. Yeah, because if somebody shows up at the monastery and says, I'm thinking about this, it's not like... You know, they're a sister day one, right? Right. I mean, we don't yeah. grab them, slam yeah. the door, and yeah. lock them away. No, yeah. no, it's a, it's a process. And in fact, that's part of what I do in vocation work. And and so um, a lot of times it's I'm doing a lot of phone calls with them. Now with, um, you know, Skype or, you know, Zoom and that sort of thing, now I have those type of conversations with them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of back and forth talking about their, their life, their spiritual life, where they think God is calling them. Yeah, it's, it's developing a relationship. It's not a one visit and you're done type thing. Yeah, relationships we're going to talk about in a moment after this, yeah, I think, last question about this, because you said a couple of things there that I want to follow up on. One is, you know, you mentioned, you know, less priests, less, you know, sisters, brothers entering into the monastic community. When, when you know, I obviously, again, as a practicing Catholic and, you know, my wife's family in particular, you know, Catholic family, what, when you look out at the future now, right, with less people entering the monastic life, what, what do you, what do you, what's, what's the future of the monastery here? What's the future of the Catholic Church? I mean, it's a big question, right? And I'm not asking you to, to, to speak on behalf of, you know, all Catholics everywhere. That's not fair. But, you know, just from, from your standpoint, what do you, what do you, what, what excites you about the future of the monastery and the church and what, what makes you nervous? Um, I think what excites me is, is God and, and, um, you know, the, the Benedictine way of life has been around for 1,500 years. I, As great as I think I am and as big as my ego is, I don't think I'm going to be the one to ruin it after 1,500 years, right? And, and there's been ups and downs throughout all of the history, whether it's the Benedictine life or whether it's the Catholic Church, but God is still God and God is in control. So that's what excites me about it is that this is God's endeavor. We're just his instruments. We are just responding with the, what he puts before us to do. Mm -hmm. And so that totally excites me. What also excites me is the rich history, in particular here at Scholastica with our monastery, our rich history in healthcare, our rich history in education, in outreach. 
It's amazing to think of all the lives and all the people we've touched that we've infused with these Benedictine values, and now they're out influencing the world. You know, you think about our healthcare and all the nurses that we've educated, and and you know, I go to different schools and I travel around and go to schools and visit schools. I'm constantly people going, I went to Scholastica, I went to Scholastica, you know, oh, da, da. and so. So we don't have as many sisters, yeah, but look at all the people that are living our Benedictine values and that are doing work, whether it's healthcare, education, being good people in society, we are making a difference out there. And so that totally excites me. Obviously, I'm not, you know, naive to to the challenges of not as many sisters or in the church as a whole, not as many priests, but, you know, Again, it's God's church. We need to respond and and be as active as we can, be as positive as we can, and just keep moving forward. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask this question, uh, switching gears a little bit, um, saying you were a teacher and a coach. You you remain a teacher and a coach, <laughs> um, just in a different way. But you started before you 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 professed and came to Saint Glasgow. You 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 were a a teacher and coach right before um, i came to the monastery yep. so and you, you i mean you're you, you kind of have built this this phrase you know jesus and sports and you try <laughs> to keep them in that order right mm-hmm. um so talk to me about you know starting off as a, as a teacher and a coach and how that teaching and coaching has changed i mean you're a pretty big deal in the coaching world too you think had some some press and things which we'll talk about but talk about being a teacher and a coach in this role and in roles you've had before well it you know I'm very grateful that I do have the education background. My dad was a teacher and coach, so I had a great example in him. And so I think what's so great about the teaching profession is that it can translate into many different areas. And so once I came to the monastery, I thought I would go back to teaching, you know, because there's Catholic schools here in the city of Duluth. So I thought, well, I'll just plug into one of them. It never happened that way. I ended up being the director of mission for one of our health systems, which was my job was then to ensure that the employees and the people that worked with us and for us understood our Benedictine way of life. I was a teacher, right? So I think that's the great thing about about teaching is that it can work in any whatever job, whatever ministry you're called to do. And the same thing for coaching, because coaching is just teaching with with kicking or hitting a ball, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great it's a great skill set. It's a great past history of of work that can help me do whatever is before me right now. Yeah, and the coaching piece. I mean, you received a lot of attention and rightfully so for your connection to the. Uh, Saints football team and you know because I think of the uniqueness right there's not many sisters as they would say prowling the sidelines <laughs> of football games talk to me about the sport of football and your connection to football because I think most people wouldn't think you know a sister on a football field that doesn't make sense but talk to me about that right I you know I did coach a lot of sports before I entered and football was never one of them my dad was always a football coach I was good at painting the lines and mowing the lines of a football <laughs> field but I, I never coached it myself and so when the opportunity came up to coach to coach football I was like you got to be kidding I mean I'll pray for you I'll love you I'll cheer for you but but I can't how how can I be a football coach well you know as it came to pass you know coaching is coaching teaching is teaching you know to coach you got to love the kids you got to help to have them do their best the different skill sets or the different strategy sets that's stuff to be learned but knowing how to coach Knowing how to teach is is something that's within you. So I think I was just able to use those gifts that I have and, again, just translate them into football. I would imagine you embark as much football wisdom, maybe even less football wisdom than you do, just even life wisdom. Talk to me about your relationship with the players uh, and you know how what presence you have in their life because I know and again this this can certainly come from their perspective because I know they tell you mm-hmm. right I mean you're invited to their weddings and mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things so what 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 do you think you bring to the team what have you been told you bring to the team I think it's just a presence being there for them um, you know yeah I'm like tackle go get them you know get a first down we need a touchdown so I know how to do all that type of thing but it's just being there for the kids and there's nothing more beautiful than a guy might just walk past me whether it's on the sidelines or practice and I'll be like pray for my grandma she's sick today Mm -hmm. or something like that or I got a big test came up or I'm having issues with this and they might not sit down with me and have a Dr. Phil Oprah Winfrey moment but they'll let me know that they need extra prayers or they need extra attention and so I think 
that's what I can bring. You know, along with the cheering and the rah-rah and the keeping the spirits high, it, it is that, that sense of someone really does care about them. All of our coaches across Scholastica do that very, very well. And it's, it's something that I'm very proud of in our, in our athletic program. But I think I can just bring a little something extra because they know sister is there. And I know the parents tell me that. They're like, they, they feel good that they know that sister is there praying for their, their son or their daughter. The intensity around the sport, right, brings with it, I, I think about, I played football, right? So I think about my actions, behaviors, the energy, the excitement, um, the aggressiveness, especially of football. <laughs> I would, I think about myself managing that with a sister standing next to me. Um, do you have any stories around like, you know, that, how does that intersect? I totally do. And I'm sure, and I mean, the aggressiveness and all, in fact, when I started doing football, um, one of the things I was purposely thinking, because I'm a fairly intense person. I love winning. I love competing. I, I just love the idea of sport. And I purposely thought, oh my gosh, you know, I never got a technical when I coached or anything. I got a few yellow cards in volleyball, but I never got a technical. But I also purposely thought, how should I behave as Sister Lisa at a football game? When I want to be going, get them, how should I be Sister Lisa? And so I purposely thought about that. And so I'll tell you one story on myself. So um, I don't swear. And it's cute. You talk about how, and you know, people, you know, swear. And, and But the Scholastica, we're trying very intently not to, you know, to be good people and yeah. use proper language. And, but things come out, right? <laughs> and so, but if they come out and they're around me, they always say, I'm sorry, sister. And I'll be like, try to do better next time, you know? And so that's right. I'm not a prude when it comes to it. But here's my story on myself. And so my first year's coaching, my kicker that I had, Coach Mikey T, we called him, he only kicked. He didn't play any other position. So I was with him on the sideline the whole entire game, always with him, getting ready in case we had to go kick a field goal, we had to go punt. So I was always with him, side by side. And in one particular time, something must have happened on the field that I didn't fully appreciate because I said out loud, very loudly, oh, sugar. <laughs> only sugar was yeah. not the word I said. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I almost died, and I turned to Mike, and I said, Oh, Mikey, I'm so sorry. I said that. I should know better. He goes, Sister, that's not the first time I heard you say that. <laughs> so all this time, I thought I'd been controlling myself, but it turns out yeah. I get a little intense. But, you know, I, I think sports are about intensity. They are about passion. But there is a proper way to do that. And, you know, um, you know, if we do get intense, just to, you know, just to do it in the right way. And, and the guys are respectful of that. I, you know, from the very first day, the very first practice, I really don't think there was an issue. I mean, the guys welcome me. All the teams welcome me, whether I travel with them to a game. I just went with the soccer team not too long ago. It was just in the men's um, hockey locker room last week with their prayer time. So they're very respectful. I think they appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully it's just helping them be their best selves. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember, you know, sisters, brothers, priests are people too. Yes, we are. Right? So... You know, I, when we met um, a priest in our parish just a few years ago and we made a move, I'll never forget the look on my kid's face that, um, you know, what, what we asked, because it was around Lent, we asked the priest, what was the toughest thing for you to give up? And he had said, uh, having a beer. And my kids were like, the priests have beer? Like, that's a thing? You know, I mean, they were just amazed. Right. So, But it's important to know, to know your yeah. people too. So, you know, you, you talk about... You know, as, as a coach, somebody there caring for you, those kinds of things. I think it's really similar in religion, right? I always know that God has my back mm -hmm. um, as a faith-filled person. Talk to me about the intersection between sport and faith. Um, and, and maybe what you, what you, how you practice your faith and how you practice your coaching. I mean, we talked some about that intersect, but, you know, further expand on that intersection of faith and sport. Well, I think interesting you said practice for both. We practice sports and we practice our faith, mm -hmm. right? We mm -hmm. use the same word. Yeah. We say that we have to go practice football or I practice, do you practice your religion? Do you yeah. practice your faith? Yeah. So it is about practice. We're not perfect at it. And what does practice mean? Practice means you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I mean, Michael Jordan, how many free throws do you think he shot in his yeah. lifetime? Yeah. Over and over. Yeah. How many times do you think I go to chapel? over and over and over right yeah. so it's it's there the discipline yep. 
in sports, and when I talk with the athletes about it, and we do our prayer at the beginning of the seasons, and we just talk about why sports are so wonderful. It's the discipline it teaches you. It yeah. teaches you how to be a good teammate. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to be a good person with one another, yeah. the dedication, yeah. the responsibility. So all of those things um, flow together. Yeah, I do. You know, you mentioned your dad is a coach, um, you know, influential coaches. We just, you know, uh, celebrated All Saints Day yesterday. Um, when you look back on your life, who are some of the most influential people for you, both on and, and off, you know, the sports field, playing field? You know, again, we always stand on the shoulders of people who brought us here. Who are some influential people? You mentioned your dad, but there's got to be some Yeah, others. Yeah, I, w- I would start with my dad. I remember the first time that um, I ended up teaching at the school where my dad taught at. He had to retire um, because of ALS. He eventually died of that. And I remember I had to take over for him literally his same classroom and, and some of the same things and all of them. Never forget the first time somebody told me, oh, you're just like your dad. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. So definitely um, my dad, Mr. Maurer, as we call him, um, would definitely be influential. Other coaches and teachers I had all, all through all through my school and my life. And, and then I jumped to, I had a really good friend, Sister Margaret Mary, was a religious sister in my hometown who I really looked up to. And she loved sports and, and also was a religious sister. Um, and then I think about, you talk about the saints. I think, too, looking towards the saints, obviously, Benedict and Scholastica, but then, but then somebody like a St. John Bosco and just different people, just different people in the world. Um, a lot of mine are sports-related, you know, like a, you know, a Pat Summit and that sort of mm-hmm. thing are just people that I look up to. Yeah. That's great. And you've been able to, to, to I think, practice your faith and, and share faith even beyond Duluth and, and the U.S. You've traveled internationally. Talk about your trips. You've been to San Lucas and Guatemala, India, those kinds of things. Talk about those experiences. Yeah, they've been wonderful. So the trips to San Lucas and Guatemala, my diocese back in southern Minnesota, we have a mission there. The Nuam Diocese has a mission of San Lucas, and I have a really good priest friend who's very dedicated to that. So all my trips have been with him. And and it's just, it's just something to recognize just number one how big the world is <laughs> how yeah. so it's so much bigger than my little issues and and so much bigger than what I know yeah. so San Lucas really opened me up to that my trip to India was just absolutely the most amazing mind-blowing thing I've done I had met I had spent a year a school year in in Chicago at Catholic Theological yeah. Union and one of my classmates was a priest Father Chanaya from India once we finished our school year, he came here and visited Scholastica before he had to go back to India. And the sisters met him and they all joked, well, now you have to go visit him. And oh yeah, I'll go to India someday. Well, he goes back to India and then all of a sudden something came up and and it was like, why don't I go? So I went over a Christmas break one time. I have never seen so many people, like you know there's a lot of people in the world, mm-hmm. but just to see so many people and just in such a different um it was it was very mind-blowing and just the the awesomeness that god must be that he creates this world and all these people that are in it and and loves them and has a purpose for them um that was altering to my thought about the vastness of the world yeah yeah, uh, you know, you only see the pictures and things, but you know, even even driving across the state, you know, it's so vast, and you multiply that over and over and over again, mm-hmm. right? In in different situations. Yeah, I think I, I think any time you can travel or do anything like that, it just expands your mind right. and your understanding of of the greatness of God. Yeah, we have this thing too. You know, there's there's a there's a lure of having your place like a cottage up north or those kinds of things but i think the philosophy my wife and i have had is there's so many places to go like don't go back to the same place over and over again but go, you know go explore new places right. so because um, the world is so vast well i've been peppering you for the better part of over a half hour already um and i always give the opportunity to guests on the on the podcast to ask some questions of me so let's let's turn the tables here a little bit well, number one, I didn't know you were a convert. I didn't know your story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that, that was, I wrote that down. That mm-hmm. was, tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. You know, I, I think mostly, um, you know, you do it because, you know, you're getting married and that's just what you do. You know, I would say, you know, our we weren't a uh, every Sunday go to church family, went to Sunday school every year. A lot of my favorite memories actually growing up, um, 
I, I can remember the, the Sunday school um, classes we went to. I taught Sunday school um, for a few years as a high school student because I thought I was going to get into education as a profession. Um, I, I, again, I think I am still in education mm-hmm. just in a different way. But um, uh, vacation Bible school, church, youth group, volleyball. So I have a lot of good memories around church, but faith there was, you know, I knew it was important in my life, but not really practicing, not going to practice, right? <laughs> showing up to game days, but there not showing go. up to practice. Um, but I think, you know, just wanting to, making a commitment, you know, with my wife to raise our children Catholic and things, it just made sense to me to become a practicing Catholic mm-hmm. and, and go through that process. So I think it, you know, it deepened my you know, my faith and appreciation for and, and trying to carve out time to pray and, and have those moments. I wish I would do more of that. Um, I'm very much service oriented. Like I like to show my faith through service. So I had had um, uh, been advisor for groups like Habitat for Humanity and other things like that to, to make sure I always took that spring break week to go and do service, right? Because otherwise I wouldn't make time for it. So um I think it was a, a lot around that. My, my wife's grandmother, who just passed away about a month ago, if there's anybody who has a front row seat in heaven, I, th- I think she, she'll have one next to you oh, who's in heaven. God willing. But, um, but she she was a beacon for faith for me that I didn't have before. Um, and um, the way she lived her life and practiced and talked about faith and did her you know, prayers every morning, every evening, pray the rosary. I mean, it was it was uh, inspirational. So there were some really great role models for me to follow in that regard, too, mm-hmm. once I met my wife. I owe a lot to her. <laughs> so, oh, that's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, because when I first met you, um, I don't know if this is a compliment or not. I would have never guessed that you were, I would have assumed oh, really? you were a cradle yeah. Catholic, yeah. The, way you, no. the way you so beautifully speak about your faith. Mm-hmm. Same question, a little bit a little bit of the same, but you talk about that you're now here at Scholastica. Yeah. Um, you came from another Benedictine yep. facility. So what yep. is it about you and being Benedictine? I mean, what is that, yeah. how, how has that influenced your life or what does that mean to you? You know, I gave a presentation at my previous stop. Um, a, we had these... Um, these staff luncheons and one of the things was they asked somebody to come up and talk about what it's like to um, practice the Benedictine values in in the work that they do and what I talked about was I talked about growing up um, working on family farms that I didn't realize Benedictine values were being instilled in me while I was doing that work right stewardship um, you know, like like uh, uh, reflection and prayer, community, um, hospitality, all of those things, and I and I termed it in three different ways. I, I said um, I said cows, ca- casseroles, and classic rock were the three <laughs> things. Right? There's nothing more beautiful from a stewardship standpoint, and really, I think love of learning as well, because that. I think people think, oh, it's just, you know, dumb farmers. Farmers are some of the most smart people on the planet, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or the smartest people on the planet, as I don't sound very smart (laughs) and articulating myself. But... But um, there's a beauty around those animals. And and I said, there's nothing like walking out on a pasture at five o'clock in the morning as the sun is coming up and the steam is rising off the grass to get the cows in in the morning, the milk. Like that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. moment, right? There's God all around you in those moments. Um, You know, casseroles. you know, I say casseroles are bringing together of things, mixing it together to make something great. I'm like, our campus is essentially a casserole or in Minnesota a hot dish. I was just going to yep. correct. I was going to let you yep. talk for yep. a little while before <laughs> yep. I corrected yep. you. I always have to remember it's hot dish here. It's a hot right? dish but here. Hot dish. But, you know, that and but we always came together for meals. You always stopped work. And you came together for that time being together. So I was learning that there. And classic rock, I always talk about it. It's hard, you know, I don't picture, you know, Sister Beverly. I don't think of, you know, ACDC when I think, when I see her. But I, that, that I think about the Milk House and playing that music. But music and the psalms that you all sing and preach, like the psalms are, it's, it's music, right? It's a guy. So, I, you know, I think for me, and I didn't realize it until I started working at a, at a Benedictine institution, how... Even before I breathe the word of being Catholic or practicing Catholic, those values are being instilled. And that's what I love about the Benedictines and the Benedictine values are they're humanistic values. It doesn't matter what faith you know you came from, but 
you can rally around those values in a way that makes sense. And if we were able to practice them, I think a fraction of the way we're capable of doing the world would just be a completely different and more beautiful place. Right. And I, people always talk about, you know, St. Benedict, if, if he was anything, he was just very well at understanding human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the totality of the rule, um, it's really just about people helping people to be their best selves, recognizing right. that it's not going to be easy for them, that they're going to fail and that they're going to be flawed, but just how do we draw the best out of them and give them yep. every opportunity yep. to be their best. Yeah, and that's what I like about, you know, St. Scholastica in particular, the makeup of the students that are here. It's such a wide variety of students and, you know, just the staff in my, you know, short lens here, short amount of time here that are really dedicated to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's a beauty with that. There's great status. Those are my trophies, right? Talk, bringing it back to sports. Those are my trophies is when, you know, those students graduate and they're, and they're different people. They're better people because of the experience. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Now, I know you've only been here at Scholastica for a little while, mm-hmm. but what already would you say is your favorite memory or favorite moment being here at Scholastica? Uh, it's hard to pick because there's been a lot of them already. Oh, but, wow. You know, but, I mentioned, but I mentioned the, you know, the, the bantering on Twitter. Like, I'm not even on, on campus yet, and I'm bantering with a, with a sister on Twitter. Like, it, that's awesome stuff. But you had to admit, <laughs> it was the women's basketball coach that set us up. He though. did set us up for that, and, we're, and I realized we're both very competitive. So it was this, you know, Twitter gif or jif war between the two of us i you know if you want to follow someone on twitter who's fantastic again sister lisa would be one you can search and follow her but i mean that's that's a really fun moment um I, I, I'll point there's there has been a lot but I'll point to one it happened really early on here i was late in my office and a student I, I could, you know, I was working, but I, I could tell somebody was in the doorway. Like you just got to sense somebody was there. And I look up and here's, a, you know, a student. And she asked a question about, um, she was looking for a grown up. I think is how she termed it, right? Which made me <laughs> chuckle a little bit too. Um, but she was, she was looking for a grown up because she had some questions. She was assigned. She like, I was assigned a, an assignment in class where we had to watch some videos. And before she could get the word video out, she started to cry. And I'm like, okay, so grab Kleenex. And I'm like, okay, so now talk to me a little bit. And she was struggling with making the connection between the assignment and the questions that were being asked. And she was just having a hard time, I, I think, putting that together and was really nervous, like, you know, asking questions. Do you think, like, if I just give my best effort and I explain that I was having a hard time understanding that the professor would understand? And I'm like, I, I would hope that would be the case, right? I can't. I can't explain, but, you know, so we talked through that. We talked through the resources that were available. Um, You know, it turns out she was a first-year student, so adjusting to a lot of different things that were going on. But, again, this is that notion of you're placed in places where you belong. There was no rightful reason, again, for me to be here at, I think it was like 8.30 at night to have that happen. But the fact that I was here and able to have that conversation, the student left better, emailed about a week later she nailed the assignment it was great right but but i think you know for me again those are really great times when you're able to have those types of interactions and um you know would that happen at a different place you know probably but i think it's easier at a place like this to have them which is which is cool so you know that's that's a fun moment it's but it's fun everything is fun i mean i know you feel that way too like i love almost every aspect of things that happen here. And I, by almost, right, there's some things that happen here that aren't all that great, but, you know, welcome to life, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just, I, I don't know, there's not a cooler profession. I've told the board of trustees and others, you know, they, they ask, what 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 brought you here? And I'm like, because I was offered the best job in the world, right? I get to intersect from students that are from the point of them not even knowing us and what we're about to the time they walk across the stage. Mm-hmm. And after, when I'm asked to help out with alum events, there's, you know, you're affecting the trajectory of a person's life. You're, we're doing for them what would happen for me. Mm-hmm. And um, what a great gift. The way you speak, there must be somebody that was influential in you that affected your life the way you're wanting to affect the life of these young people here. Yeah. Who's been influential in your life? Yeah, my, um, you know, I, I think of coaches that I had. There's one, I'll just point out one in particular because I've been asked different variations of this question before, but... Um, he was a he was a, a shop teacher in high school. Cliff Clinky, his name was. What a great name, Cliff Clinky. He was from Apple Valley, I think, Minnesota too, or Apple Valley. Yeah, there's an Apple Valley, yep, Minnesota, there is. isn't there? Yep. Um, I think that's where he was from. But 
he he I played football. I lived out in the country. Didn't have uh, you know transportation to and from home and. Um, they were trying to get me to go for the wrestling team. I never wrestled at all, right? But my sophomore year, he said, I'll, I'll pick you up and drop you off. I don't know where he lived. For all I know, he lived at school. He slept under the <laughs> wood lathe, right? I mean, I have no idea. He was that kind of character, too. Think with the name Cliff Clinky. He looks exactly how you would picture That's him. That's a great name. That's a great name. But, um, but he, he came and picked me up every, you know, picked pick me up, dropped me off, uh, you know, practices, those kinds of things. Um, but I think what he taught me was don't let obstacles prevent you from getting where you need to be. You know, utilize your resources, find a way, find a support network. It's a lot of what we talk about with students here as well. You know, he was greatly influential. Um, you know, you growing up in a single parent household and it was just my mom, you know, I think of, you know, football coaches in particular for me, some of the wrestling coaches and Cliff and others, um, to, to be honest with you, too, there are students that become great influencers for me because I watch them overcome obstacles and battle um, in ways that are inspirational. It makes me want to work harder. Um, but I just try to set a good example, um, whether it's for the students here, for staff that's here, or for my family. I mean, ultimately, I want to leave a legacy that lives on far beyond me with you know, the graduates and the people that are here and, and my own family as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you just mentioned family, and that was one of the other things you kind of asked me about. And you, at the beginning, you talked a little bit about this, but how I kind of liken my vocation as a sister to your vocation, to anybody's vocation as marriage. How 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 do you see your vocation as marriage in your life? Or what it, what is it like being married? I've never been married, yeah, yeah. right? Um, well... This is where I'm going to try not to be – what I say is I, I deem myself a rough, tough cream puff, right, and especially when I talk about my family. But, um, you know, I, I think for me there's a beauty of marriage. There's a beauty of imperfection in marriage that makes it just beautiful, right? I mean mm-hmm. relationships are complicated. I'm sure your relationship with God is complicated, mm-hmm. right? Um, any relationship is. But I think when you, when you truly find that individual who complements – you in ways that make you together better um it turns out to be a wonderful thing and i would say with marriage too with my wife and i how faith intersects with that as well that's the trifecta in rounding that out right um and we've allowed our kids to find their own path and way and they're all you know at different states in their own faith journey i myself went through that right i mean it's very different so but i think for me that 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 marriage piece is a way to um, collectively together bring about, um, uh, you know, uh, your, 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 your faith, your journey, your legacy, and pass it on in ways with your children, with your own children, if you're blessed with children or in your communities in ways. I think now as our kids, our oldest is a senior, our youngest is a senior in high school. Now, when we become empty nesters, um, you know, for us, how can we continue to, as they go off now and do what we've raised them to do, is to be positive people in their communities? How do we now, with the time we have, not sitting at, at our own kids' games, hopefully sitting at, you know, Saints' games together, obviously, but then beyond that, how do we just spread, again, that partnership and that union out? I, I'm not articulating it well, but just because it's just, I don't know, for me, it's 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 my everything. Um I didn't have that growing up, and it was one of the things I always remember as a kid. I can remember laying in bed at night wondering what it would be like to be married and the type of father and husband I would want to be not growing up with one. Um, and I don't know. I I, I think I, I, I blame my wife for all the successes with our kids and how great <laughs> they are. Um, maybe I had a little something to do with that too, but... Um, you know, I, I feel like in watching them grow and where they're at right now, I, we didn't do too bad of a, a job there. And, and that's fun. That was the fun part. Marriage allowed me to become a husband and father, which is what I've always wanted to do. And now I think, you know, I don't know if I would be blessed with many days or a few days on the earth. Their legacy will, will carry on. And that's pretty cool. That is beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Can I can I jump to something not as not as important, but still as important? Um, this whole idea of you being from Wisconsin and being here in Minnesota mm-hmm. um, and this whole in particular the Green Bay Packer thing. <laughs> how, how do you handle that? 
This year, not so well. Obviously. Um, yeah. We're, the Packers and I are in a little bit of a break. Um, you know, I don't know. My approach and attitude about I'm a fan, but I'm not a crazy fanatic, like, in your face. I mean, I do trash talk some, right. as you know. Yeah. Um in all loving fun. In loving fun, and um, I'm always testing how much, how much, how much you know I can give you without like you know being. I'll sent, let you know. I will definitely purgatory let you know. Or, or going to confession. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, I I just like the banter and the competition, mm-hmm. and I know if I dish it out, I'm going to take it, and that's completely mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I, you know, that's 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 part of sport. That's mm-hmm. just so fun, right? And being a fan, right? Those loyalties and things. I always will say I can always rally around for those that are here. I can always rally around the Saints. Like if there's one thing we can agree See, on, that's it. Our common foot, like the really the football, the only football team that matters is our Saints. Exactly. At the end of the day. Exactly. But um. Yeah, you know, it's 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 just sport as it is for you. Um, you know, it's just such a part of the foundation of, of my life, and I owe mm-hmm. a lot to it. And, you know, I think about lessons I learned on the field or on the wrestling mat or on the track every day when I'm doing my work. And um, But it's a healthy – I've had healthy coaches that have taught me healthy competition and healthy ways of being a fan or being competitive where it's not destructive because it can be destructive. Definitely. And you can fall into – you know, I, again, other ways to handle the stress of being an athlete or being a fan that could be detrimental, mm-hmm. you know, uh, betting or or anything else, right? right? I mean, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we handle it well, but I'm an apologetic Packer fan, and anything purple makes me vomit. So, I yeah. Just, yeah. I just find that, find that. <laughs> but, and I think that's what I love about you is that I, I recognize your passion for sports and the goodness that sports that comes from sports and how it can be such a positive influence in a person's life and in society when we when we have something like that to to celebrate yeah and, and whether it's sport right for us it's it you know our, our we kind of bend more towards sport but you know I had you know opportunity to go last weekend and watch you know the the play on campus and you know there's a beauty about the work and dedication mm-hmm. that goes into a play or a concert or I mean it's it for me I, I call them second connects any of those kinds of things there's there's your work and then or your or your kind of your your primary passions and then there's then there's other things that you can bring passion and joy to in in life and you know i tend to lean harder towards sports than something else but you know whether it's concerts plays sporting events art whatever it is um there's just i'm so respectful and um, and so appreciative of 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 things outside of sport as well right but i think that's something that's pretty cool about scholastic is that our kids are involved in a lot of things i mean i've had football players who are in the choir other ones have been on you know different athletes our kids are pretty well-rounded you know you find these kids that have time and the passion to be involved in athletics are also involved in the arts whether it's music or plays or anything so i think that's what's so great at being at a a college like saint scholastica is that if you want to do something, you'll find the opportunity to do it, and you'll be welcomed to do it. Yeah, no, it's great. And we've got just so many people, whether it's us here, the sisters in the monastic community, the alums and others that, you know, donate and, and help us do things like a new student center, you know, starting next year. I mean, it's just, um, it's a it's a great, it's a great profession. And it's, a, you know, for those that work here that listen to this, you know, you know it. For those of you that are alums that listen to this, you know, you know it as well. And um um, yeah, we're just we're blessed to be around a great place for sure and in a great profession. That's so, definitely true. And, yeah. and I'm so thankful for everyone who's allowed me to be a part of it, yep. um, whether it's a football team, let me enter in, me just wandering through either it's GDR or through storms every, you know, over the noon hour and, and the kids just talking to me and and allowing me to be a part of their sacred story here at, at Scholastica. Um, I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, well, that's a great place to stop, and I know I'm forever grateful that our paths have crossed. Um, you know, again, I'm I'm really certain wherever you know life blows us, right? We do we don't get to make those calls that, um, you know, the fact that we've been able to intersect has been wonderful. And um, you're a special gift to this place. You're a special gift to me personally. And um, just thanks so much for sharing your story and your time here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That was an hour from Tower Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode, so stay tuned.